Good evening. We are thankful that you are here this evening. I feel like this is the uh, the strong few that are left here. Uh, Van is serving as the usher, and I tried to bribe him. The numbers are going the wrong way over there on the board, I told him. Uh, but it didn't work. He says it is what it is. And we're thankful that you're here. Unfortunately, our numbers have been down, and probably will be, actually, for the rest of the year, simply due to travel and sickness and things. So, as always, we want you to stay home if you think you're sick and contagious. But if you're feeling up to it, we'd love for you to be here, because it is encouraging to be together, and we are thankful that you can be here anytime that you can be. We've even got a Mary Crabtree lookalike over here. Uh, we're thankful that she's able to be out. As we say always, we appreciate our, our sick list, an opportunity to pray for folks, uh, and we want to pray for folks who are sick, but we want to be thankful as well, even as we've talked about prayer, not just petitions to God, but thanksgiving. We're thankful for those who have made improvements and that Mary's able to be back with us uh, today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to the book of 2 Kings. Second Kings. We're going to continue in our Book of the Month Club, as we've called it. Uh, and this is, of course, the last for this year. If you counted by number, it would have been easy to keep up till now what book we're on. But, of course, as we turn over to a new year, God willing, we'll continue this study. I hope that you find it beneficial and encouraging. Even if you don't get a chance really to read the book, maybe, uh, just to consider some of the things that it talks about. And certainly, as we do at the end of each of these lessons, we try to make application to ourselves. I found it interesting tonight... Uh, I almost feel like we need like a, um, a movie rating, you know, we almost need like a, a warning, uh, no children be allowed in the audience, because when you think about the books of the kings, uh, and really, as we have said, First and Second Samuel was one book, one scroll that they separated, First and Second Kings was one book that was then separated into First and Second Kings. Uh, interestingly enough, due to a few reasons we'll talk about later, but we're probably going to take Chronicles together uh, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, but the Kings, in the book of the Kings, is, is quite graphic, if you will. There's murder, there's assassinations, there's child sacrifice. Uh, if you read very carefully, there's even a woman who is thrown out of the window and then trampled by horses. There is the putting out of people's eyes. It's, it's not for the faint of heart to consider what all was taking place during the books or the book of the kings here. When we come to 2 Kings, very simply to begin, the book of 2 Kings continues with, and I thought it's a fitting word, but the drama that begun in 1 Kings. Uh, the tragic history, of course, simply of two nations. We talked about the divided kingdom. Two nations on a collision course with captivity. It helps us, of course, to look backwards. Hindsight is 2020, we often say, and to be able to, to look and see what happens and to understand. Uh, and so we know that this is what is coming, even if the folks that we read about here are still sort of living it out. Excuse me, I'd like to share with you tonight a few different slides uh, from the Ethical Media Group, which is run by the McDade family uh, down in Tiftonia. I shared one of these last month when we talked about First Kings, but you'll see they're a little different than my normal slides. They may be a little difficult to read. But one thing that I've not done yet and shared with you, and this was their outline, but an outline of the Old Testament. Uh, just a real general. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, you know all those folks. Come on down to Joseph, and that's what we call the patriarchal age. And then we hit the mosaical age. God's not speaking uh, through the fathers necessarily, the heads of the family, the patriarchs, but through Moses, he has given his law. We've got Moses, we've talked about Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And then here lately, we've got into Samuel, and then Saul, David, and Solomon, who each reigned for 40 years leading up to the divided kingdom. 
Uh, And so here we see sort of a brief outline of where we are in regards to the Old Testament. We're in the middle, maybe beginning middle of the Mosaical age. uh, And there's been a lot that's happened already, although there still is a lot to come for these people. I showed this slide, I believe this is the one that we used last month, but on the left-hand side you see the kings of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, and on the right-hand side you see the kings of Judah of the southern kingdom. We talked last month about how they were divided. On the left-hand side, the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, there were ten tribes that formed Israel. You see the ten of them listed there. And then when it came to the uh, Judah, to the southern kingdom, there were two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. What's interesting, and we're going to see this, if I don't say it now, I may forget it, uh, but when it comes to the kings of Israel, we see, and there's some discussion, as you know, with Old Testament history, we see about nine different dynasties, if you will. Nine different families, we understand the term dynasties, but families or dynasties that come through. But with the kings of Judah, there's only one. Why is that important? Well, because we're talking about David. We're talking about the seed of Jesus, the seed of David. And there's only one as it's going to come down through the line of King David, of course, eventually leading into Jesus coming. So there's only one dynasty, if you will, when it comes to Judah, the southern kingdom. If you've got your outline here, we'll notice, first of all, pardon me, that there are 19 consecutive evil kings in Israel. That was the left-hand side. I think it was in blue. 19 consecutive evil kings rule in Israel. So we've got 0 for 19 that are any good at all. Uh, Now, when it comes to the number of kings, you will find some debate. Some of people will tell you it was 19 and 19. Some will tell you, so that's 38 total. Some will tell you there was 39 total. Some will tell you there's 40 total. So it may depend on what source you consult. For our purposes tonight, we're going to look at 19 and 19. So when it came to Israel, the northern kingdom, again, that left-hand column, we're zero for 19 on good kings, which is a very tragic story. And it leads to the captivity by the Assyrians. To go back to this slide here again, I chose this one to show you because if you can see it, it says that the kings of Israel were so wicked that six of them, the ones highlighted there or in a block, six of them murdered their predecessor in order to be king. So zero for 19, we're not making it up and we're not even sugarcoating it a little bit. Six of them were willing to go to the point of murder in order to go back and and to be able to ascend to the throne. So there was a lot of evil when it came to the kings of Israel in the northern kingdom. If you've got your outline and you're following along, though, when it comes to the southern kingdom of Judah, we're going to bat a little bit better. I mean, we like averages in our sports and things. We're going to do a little better when it comes to the southern kingdom of Judah. The picture's a little bit better. There, there are occasionally good kings that come along, uh, and so we go up to about eight of 19 kings who are going to be good. So you understand pretty quickly here from looking at it this way uh, that there's a stark difference. Now to go back one more time uh, to the information the McDade family has, uh, here are those eight kings, and you don't, of course, obviously have time and may not even be able to read it up there, uh, but there are eight different ones listed there, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, some of these names you may uh, recall, Hezekiah, Josiah. And so many of them, um, what's interesting with it is many of them, most of them were not good all the way through. So they were trying, but either they started out good and then they turned away from God or they started out away from God, but they turned to him. 
So there's some good there, but at the same time, um, they were not totally devoted and staying to God. So we go from 0 to 19 to 8 of 19. And while 8 of 19 is better, it's important to note that in the end, sin outweighs the righteousness that those kings brought to Judah. And in the end, Judah is marched off to Babylon. A very, very sad story on both sides, even though Judah does have some good kings along the way. Uh, notice here, this is the outline for 1 Kings. I put a little arrow there so I wouldn't forget. Last month we talked about 1 Kings, the reign of Solomon that le then led up to the divided kingdom. So we come forward into 2 Kings and we have, first of all, just the divided kingdom. Chapters 1 through 17, we're going to talk about some of the stories from it in just a moment, but pretty much gives us the divided kingdom continued. It's going to continue to chron chronicle for us all of these kings, all the bad they did, and even some of those good kings, some of the good that they were able to do. And then the back half of the book, and what we're going to notice tonight is that it is in chapter 17 that uh, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is taken away into captivity. So the back half of the book is simply the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah up to the point of their captivity. Uh, the left-hand side, the kings of Israel, uh, Israel lasted about 200 years. The right-hand side, the kings of Judah, Judah lasted about 300 years. So because of that, the book is broken down into a couple of different sections Again, kind of a macro look at it here, a large look at it, into the divided kingdom and then simply into the kingdom of Judah. A couple of themes for you. The first one's not in the bulletin. The second will be. But first of all, a theme from the book of Kings, uh, and that's a typo there at the top, but Second Kings, um, is that God's great blessing, actually, I'm sorry, this was from last month, again, to make comparison, God's great blessing to the faithful and to the tragedy of the disunity among God's people that comes about their issues well, it's still here in 2 Kings, but to, set, to give us a little bit more of a brief breakdown of 2 Kings, as we said at the beginning, one people, two kingdoms, and their destruction. Is it their destruction because God chose them ahead of time and just said, you know what, I don't like them? Is it their destruction because God sort of just drew names out of a hat? Or is it a destruction because of their sin? We notice time and time again, as you look through these books, the, the evil that people were willing to do. I mean, R-rated. I, I don't know any other way to say it. If, if Hollywood were to take some of these stories and turn them into movies, they would try to go for all the gore and blood and violence, and it's all there. As a result of their sin, destruction is going to come about. And unfortunately, it happens even to the people of God. You see, so many times people want to use this idea of you know, I, I'm a Christian, nothing bad should happen. Or why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? God allows all people to be punished for the sin that they commit. Some, for some of us, that will be at a later date. For some of us, that may be a little sooner because of something that we've chosen to do. There certainly is judgment day that will be coming, that is coming. But when we think about the Old Testament, we look back and see these two kingdoms that are going to be destroyed because of their sin. We touched on this last week for just a moment, but who wrote the book? It's uncertain. Possibly Jeremiah or Ezra. We think about the prophets who were involved. We'll come back to them in a moment as well. Um, then, you know, that is uh, all that we can kind of, you know, think about when it comes to it. The best, best guess that we can put together. 
So usually at this point, I usually share with you a few key verses. What I'd like for us to do tonight, because there are several memorable moments in the book of 2 Kings, is to think about some of those. One of them is Elisha's miracles. Um, you know here, if you've got your Bible open to first, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see that Elijah is going to ascend to heaven. We're familiar with that. We recall Elijah uh, ascending to heaven in verse number 11. He goes away by a whirlwind into heaven. Lots of folks recall that. And it is there that Elisha, before uh, Elijah leaves, if you go back in your Bible, if you're there in 2 Kings chapter 2 in verse 9, that Elijah, Elisha gets the same kind of question that Solomon does. What do you want? What, you know, what would you like? And Elisha says that he would like a double portion. Now, that many believe that double portion would refer to the miracles. Elijah had done, as we read, seven miracles. And it's interesting, as we read 2 Kings about Elisha, we read about 14 miracles that are there. A few of them that may be familiar to you. At the end of chapter 2, we have to include this for our dear friend Brian and the other bald heads in the uh, audience. You may recall in verse number 23 that as Elijah, or excuse me, Elisha is provoked by some of those children that say, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head, that he turns around and he uh, pronounces the curse. Two female bears come out of the woods and maul 42 of the youths. That's a pretty familiar story for a lot of us because it stands out, and of course, including uh, the taunting there of the bald head. You go over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, Elisha and the widow's oil. Do you recall this story? That the widow uh, who has uh, no, you know, no benefits, no money, only a jar of oil. She comes to Elisha and asks for help. Elisha says, go collect all the empty vessels you can find. If you can get your hands on it, go collect it. Go home, shut the door, let no one see you, and begin to pour out of that one little jar and fill an empty vessel. When it's full, get another one. When it's full, get another one. And she does until she runs out. She's got no more. And he tells her, go and sell that. And then you can use that money to pay off your debtors or your creditors there, those that you owe money to. So the miracle of the widow's oil. If you're still there in chapter 4, you may remember the Shunammite's son. Uh, the Shunammite woman that takes care of Elisha. He's coming and he's going. They feed him. Then they give him a room. And, and she's barren or doesn't have any children. And in the end, Elisha tells her, you can ha you're going to have a child. And she says, uh, don't, don't play with my emotions. Don't toy with me. Are you making fun of me? You know, don't, don't do this to me. Don't lie to your maidservant in verse number 16. But in verse 17, lo and behold, as the man of God says, she conceives. But unfortunately, tragically, that son gets a, a, a headache in our terms today, but a, a bad head problem goes home and he dies. And she comes back to Elisha and she says, I told you. Don't toy with me. Don't mess with my emotions. Don't lie to me. And in the end, he ends up raising this woman's son, raises him from the dead. And then maybe you recall as well, we don't have time to touch on all of them, but chapter 6. At the beginning of chapter 6, there's the miracle of the floating axe head. They are there, uh, some folks are there, they're working on taking down these trees so that they will have uh, trees and beams to make things there. And as this guy is swinging his borrowed axe, the head pops off uh, and goes into the water and he's distressed because it's borrowed. And he tells Elisha, Elijah cuts off a stick, throws it in the water 
The axe head rises and it's able to be made whole again. And so that's just a few. Again, we don't have time to touch on all of them. But Elisha has asked for this double portion and he receives that and that he's able to do some of these more memorable miracles. You may recall from 2 Kings chapter 5, probably the most famous story maybe in all of 2 Kings, and that is of Naaman's leprosy. No need necessarily to rehash all of this. Many of us are familiar with that, and we're going to come back and talk about it again in just a few moments. But he is uh, told to go, to go to the river there and to wash and to be clean. You may recall there in verse number 12 that he asked about the other rivers. Why are these uh, these are better than the Jordan. Why do I, can I not go to these? But when he does exactly what the man of God says, then his flesh was restored in verse number 14 of chapter 5 to that of a child, and he was clean. Naaman's leprosy. Then we go forward uh, towards the end of the book to where we read about Hezekiah. Uh, and in Hezekiah's case, if I think it's chapter 20, yeah, 2 Kings chapter 20, that Hezekiah's life is extended. He prays to God. We talk about the power of prayer. I don't want you to, I think you can extend your life simply by prayer today, of course. But he prays to God. Uh, he goes to God and asks uh, for this and his life is extended. And he is told that he is going to have more time. And even then in verses 9 through 11, he asks for a sign. And Isaiah tells him that the sign would be that the shadow of the sun would go backward. Uh, to go down 10 degrees, no, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. And so it's going to happen, and his life is going to be extended. And then, of course, maybe the, the biggest key moment or moments here in this book is simply captivity. And we're going to come back to that in just a few moments as well. A lot of things taking place. Probably not just one movie, but many movies could be made as you're telling all of these things that are occurring here in the book of 2 Kings. So I've got three practical lessons. The one in your outline, if you've got your bulletin, won't be till the very end, but a couple before that. Number one, what does this mean to us? What do we get out of the book of 2 Kings? First of all, we can realize that we must restore the religion that God has authorized. If you've got your Bible there, look in 2 Kings chapter 22, first of all. 2 Kings chapter 22. On the list of good kings in the southern kingdom is Josiah. We come to 2 Kings chapter 22, and it says, notice in verse number 1, Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years. And the most important thing, I really wanted to do this. I knew he wouldn't have time. When you see a king's name, what do you look for? Here it's in verse number two. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Not only that, but and walked in the ways of his father, David. So those are connected. You'll see that they're of their father, either uh, sometimes of Ahab uh, or someone else that's done evil. And then if it's good, they're connected to David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So Josiah is going to be one of the good kings. And the story, and I believe I've got another typo there. Uh, I don't, there's not 25 verses in chapter 22. Uh, but 2 Kings 22, beginning in verse number 3 and going through the end of the chapter, Josiah is reigning as king. He has Hilkiah, his high priest, and Shaphan, his scribe. They're going to rebuild the temple. As they're rebuilding the temple temple they find the book of the law if you've got your bible there look in verse number eight hilkiah the high priest said to shaphan the scribe i have found the book of the law in the house of the lord and so it gets passed back up 
when we think about the evil in the world, when we think about the things that are wrong, oftentimes it's very simply what? What do we say? People have forgotten the word of God. The book of the law, they've forgotten to follow what he has told us to do. It is no different in the books of the kings here that people simply have turned away and in some cases forgotten and in some cases they've done what many of us do. They take it in their hands and they just decide if they can stick it on the bottom shelf and hide it somewhere, then they don't have to think about it anymore. Now, there's nothing here that necessarily says that someone hid it on purpose and tucked it away in this particular instance, but it's out of sight. I mean, out of sight, out of mind. We don't have to worry about following God's word if we can't find it. And so as these guys and the temples being worked on here, they find the book of the law, and Josiah says, we are going to follow it. It's going to be read, and the people are going to obey it. Go over, if you're following along there, to chapter 23, and notice at the end of verse number 3, and all the people took a stand for the covenant. This covenant that Josiah is going to make, that they're going to obey by the book of the law. They have found it, and they want to restore what God has authorized. We try to make New Testament application. If you've got your Bible there, you might look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 6. When we take a look at these uh, principles, these practical lessons, we like to look forward and make uh, New Testament, uh, New Testament verse that oftentimes shows a similar thought process. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 6, Paul says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. We talked very seriously Wednesday night in the auditorium class for several moments about the importance of Bible study. Not going beyond the word of the Lord, the book of the law, God's word. It has to guide our lives. He has given us all things that pertains to life and godliness. And just as Josiah found it and was willing to treasure it, we have to do the same thing. It will guide us. It will be a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. It will make life easier when we follow what God has told us to do. Perfect? Certainly not. We have said that. But it will make life easier. So much disease, so much trouble, so much sorrow can be avoided when we treat one another the way God has told us to treat one another. When we think about practical lessons from the book of 2 Kings, we must restore the religion that God has authorized. We could get over into the areas of worship. We could get over into these other things. But just simply following his word. Josiah, or it was found, he didn't find it himself, but it was found, brought to his attention, he wants to restore it. He wants to lead the people in that type of thought process. May we all, as a congregation, not just the preacher, not just the elders, but may we all strive to have that type of attitude as Josiah did there. Number two. We may not understand why God commands some activities, but we must obey. And so again, I mentioned that we would come back to Naaman for just a moment. Um, but in 2 Kings chapter 5 there, we read about what he is told to do, how he questions it, but in the end, he is willing to go and obey. We sing about it. Trust and obey. It's interesting, and you know the reference from Mark chapter 16 and verse number 16 there, <clears throat> as Mark records for us 
Uh, the Great Commission, if you will, we oftentimes refer to the end of Matthew as the Great Commission as well. But Matthew 16, or Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. I've mentioned this to you in lessons before, but I find it interesting. God could have said anything. God could have said, you've got to swim from the United States of America, you know, to the closest place in Europe. God could have said that you need to dig a hole 10 feet deep and fill it with water and then jump in it. I mean, he could have said anything. I, I, I start trying to think of things. He could have told us that we have to pray every day. At, at 9 o'clock in the morning, you have to stop and pray. I mean, he could have said anything. But he has told us what to do. And whatever it was or whatever it is that we can read... We must trust and obey. We may not always understand. We may think it sounds kind of crazy. Some people probably think there's magic in the water or, or that sounds silly to me or, or it must mean something else. He could have told us to be sprinkled. He could have if that's the way that it was set forth before us. But he told us what we must do. We talk about it many times here. And though we may not understand it, we must obey. And then third and finally tonight, and maybe the most important, the most important lesson, I, I think, in a sense here, although those other two are important for us as well, departure from God brings eventual ruin. Departure from God brings eventual ruin. Predicted ruin. Not surprising ruin. The two references there from 2 Kings 17 and actually the whole chapter 25 are the two uh, carrying away into captivity, the two, the two places. Chapter 17, we read very simply. I like the way it's put there. It's very sad. But chapter 17 in verse number 23, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. Summed up very succinctly in just a few words, such a powerful thing that happened to these people. And even in chapter 25, as Judah is carried away into Babylonian captivity, the same thing we see. Departure from God, as we said earlier, their own sin brings eventual ruin. Notice what he said there in chapter 17 and verse number 23 again. Because here's the thing about it. Was this a surprise? Was it surprising as we said there? Was it shocking to them? Verse 23, as he said by all his servants, the prophets. God's not a God who just arbitrarily decides and it's done. Oh, I woke up this morning, I think we'll just destroy the United States or we'll destroy the Christians or we'll destroy Israel, whatever time frame, whatever people we're talking about. He says, I sent to you the prophets. Think about Jeremiah. We call him the weeping prophet. Think about Isaiah and the others who say these things. On behalf of God, he is pleading for the people to come back to him. And they won't do it. And so in the end, there's departure from God. And there is eventual ruin. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, God makes another plain statement. For the wages of sin is death. I mean, it doesn't get much more simple than that. I mean, how easy does he have to make it for us? The wages of sin is death. And, but even to continue on a little bit further, in 2 Peter chapter 3, 
and verses 8 through 11, maybe a little more on the encouraging side. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward or toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's what's interesting. We mistake God's patience, I think, sometimes for acceptance. Because God doesn't strike us dead the first time we mess up, because God allows us to continue in our sin sometimes, we take that as, well, it must be okay. I mean, it must be all right because I'm not dead yet, and so I can continue in my sin. But God has made a promise. He made a promise to the children of Israel. He said, you will be destroyed if you do not turn back. They didn't turn back, and they were destroyed, carried away into captivity. He says, the wages of sin is death. And he is not slack concerning his promise. But he does continue to bless us with time. He does continue to bless us with opportunity. And tonight as we conclude this lesson, that's exactly it. We're blessed with time and opportunity. I appreciate Charles saying there as we, he announced the song, but it is the Lord's invitation. It's not mine. It's not even the elders here. It is the Lord's invitation. That's where the power is. It's in his blood. And tonight, you don't have to face that ruin. You don't have to face that death. You don't have to face an eternity in punishment, but you have to be faithful to him, that which begins by becoming a child of God. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never become obedient. Become obedient tonight. Become a child of God. Put on Christ in baptism where all spiritual blessings are found and leave with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And maybe you're here tonight and like the children of Israel, it's a bit of a cycle. Do you recall we talked about the judges? Do you remember that? The judges, the cycle of the judges? Turning away from God, crying out for help, turning back to him, kind of summed up there very shortly. What do the children of Israel do? They would be faithful for a little while. They turn their back. They might be faithful again. They might not. Some were carried away. What do we do in 2019 with 2020 quickly on the horizon? We turn our back sometimes. And maybe you're here tonight and you need to come back to him. We're thankful that he is long-suffering. We're thankful for his patience and that we have an opportunity to repent. Either by becoming a Christian tonight or coming back to him, you can make it known as we stand together and as we sing.